To all of our listeners, we want to preface that the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of us and our guests as individuals. The claims and statements do not reflect the opinions or views of the Florida State University Department of Art History or FSU as a whole. Testing, one, two, three. Go ahead, Kat. Make sure. Oh, my goodness. Can it hear me? Does it hear me? Hello. Oh, I think it heard me. I'm going to talk over here now. That was probably too close. I just got excited. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Did You Enjoy Your Visit podcast. And we're back again. I'm Olivia. I'm Francesca. And today we have another friend with us. So excited. Um, she's so she's actually crocheting right now. That's right. What but when is she not? When but when is, she, is not? she not? Honestly, she every time we're in class together, we took a whole trip to Sarasota as a class, and this girl was just crocheting the whole trip. Actually, she taught me how to crochet. I'm very thankful for that. Gave me a crochet and a yarn. Uh, now, I just, now I just need to learn. You do. Honestly. Um, you can start so, a little club. Right. So, everybody, uh, we got Catherine in the building. Say hi. Hi. I'm waving, and then I realized, I realized <laughs> if I wave, you couldn't see that. But yes, I am crocheting. It's an all-the-time hobby. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, my gosh. Catherine, you want to... Yeah, Catherine, do you... All right. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Catherine? Oh, sure. Uh, So I studied uh, classical studies and studio art with a minor in art history in undergrad. So I was always really interested in, like, ancient history uh, and materials, and right now I am studying uh, classical archaeology, so the archaeology of the ancient Mediterranean. Um, it's it's really fantastic, and I'm excited to talk about it as I crochet. Yeah. <laughs> by the time she, by the time we finish this episode, you're probably gonna have like a toast, a mini toast, right? I'm making a miniature chicken, actually. Oh, okay. Ooh, I'm excited to see. How yeah, that out. let's see that happen. Um, but so, so how did you, um, where did this love of like archaeology and classics come from? Because not gonna lie, I don't see a lot of five year olds saying like, <laughs> mommy, I want to study classics. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? so yeah. where did that come from? Um, that actually was just because I, I had to study um, Latin in high school. It was I studied Latin curriculum. in high school too. Yeah, so yeah, it helped me with my SATs. I really enjoyed it. I the it's a really interesting language, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic to be able to read something that yeah. someone wrote thousands of years ago yeah. and interact with it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I also just really loved art and like working with my hands. So when I was in undergrad, I had a friend in the anthro department. And she said, well, maybe you should think about going on an excavation. 
Mm-hmm. At the time, I had just like started a garden club because I really liked being in the dirt. Oh, and she was like, "Okay, I can so- see me. Yeah, like, <laughs> I can totally see you doing that." <laughs> My goodness, it was so great. Uh, so she said, well, "You know, you like ancient history. You like, you know, art history, studio art. You literally love being in the dirt." Mm-hmm. She had just come back from an excavation in Greece, so she said, "Like, you know, why don't you try it?" Uh, so I did. My anthro professor helped me find an excavation, and I went on it, and it was just, like, world-changing to me. Where'd you go? Um, I <laughs> I went to an Etruscan site in Italy, in Ooh! Tuscany, um, which was a really fantastic experience because when you study latin in the text primarily Mm -hmm. you only get a certain narrative you only get like the educated male elite who are writing the texts that survive right Right. so working on archaeological site you could learn so much more about so many people right absolutely don't get that space and especially working on an etruscan site we have very little surviving etruscan writing yeah Um, it was Mm -hmm really overtaken by the Roman the Roman ex- Empire yeah the expansion yes, yes. Uh, so that's really the best way we can interact with that society mm-hmm. that's re- yeah I think that well as like a, I was a major in religion during my undergrad and I think that that's like a really really good point to make about um, what excavations can do and what they can communicate mm-hmm. and thanks to Catherine <laughs> I found I found the excavation that she went on and I'm following in her footsteps My and goodness. I'm happy to do so yeah I'm so grateful circle. full circle <laughs> very honestly exciting. I'm yeah. very excited for you thank you right so um the topic we want to talk about with you uh Catherine today uh since you've done like ex um, excavations, and we want to talk to you about the ethics of um, excavation, <laughs> deep exhale. Yeah, it's I- deep, deep, exhale. deep exhale, and then um, also UNESCO as well. So yeah, they play um, a role in that. Yeah. yeah. So Catherine, uh, for our listeners, can you tell us what UNESCO is, and you know what the acronyms are and what they do? Yeah, sure. Okay, so UNESCO is a very long acronym for United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. That uh, is a mouthful. It, it really yeah. is. UNESCO is easier to say. Yeah, right? <laughs> so I do so much in academia as opposed to the full name. Uh, so it's, it's an agency that's part of the United Nations that uh, tries to promote um, Peace through cooperation in arts, education, culture, sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, it. I don't know off the top of my head how many countries are like part of UNESCO who have representation in the agency. It's uh, not. It's definitely not everybody. I can't. And they can. It and they do. They do. <laughs> also, despite their mission, they do fall into some pretty like counterproductive and problematic habits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh. So, does UNESCO actually hold any type of like political power? Like, do they make policies that people actually have to follow, or are they just like a no? Like, like a, uh, UNESCO is a yeah. lot like the United Nations and the <clears throat> League of Nations before that, and that mm. it is um, it is very symbolic. Yes. And so, 
it doesn't necessarily have the means of enforcing policies, but mm-hmm. the symbolism itself can be incredibly important and like meaningful and weighty. So if UNESCO recognizes um, an archaeological site as like a world heritage site, then yeah. all of a sudden that can draw more tourism and, and more funding. So being like part of that symbolism can have real mm-hmm. world meaningful effects. It can have really, and I think it's interesting because I feel like, yes, it can have really um, impactful effects on different, on certain communities, but like in, in other, in, in other circumstances, it can be kind of like harmful or like, for instance, in so in terms of places that necessarily don't want tourism or need different types of um, support, like commun like s- support from a community standpoint, like what is restoring this um, ancient, you know, site quote unquote ancient or mm-hmm. um, historically valued or religiously valued location going to do for our local community, except like bring money into. <coughs> That will only funnel back into other parts of the world that are mm-hmm. like more influential in UNESCO. It's in, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that you pointed out earlier. It's like what parts like what countries are actually have um, play a part in UNESCO and the policies that they make and the standards and ethical standards that they elevate. You know. Yeah, and I think you hit on a lot of really like big topics and trends within archaeology and like heritage management of those sites right now so you know whose sites are recognized where's the imbalance and like the representation of what's considered like world heritage Mm -hmm. and also what does this do to actually help people at what point are you Mm -hmm. valuing the past over the present and the future and Mm. how people are actually existing right now. And I think a really good example of this is um, the ancient city of Antioch gets a lot of study done in academia, but the modern city was horribly damaged by an earthquake not too long ago. And there's really nothing in the news about that. This is in modern Turkey. Okay. Got you. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And, Mm -hmm. like, I think another thing to bring in, too, is, like, um, I was looking at... When I was searching through different um, sites that you sent me, actually, it's, like, the American Institute of Archaeology, yes? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the sites I was, like, really interested in was in Canada, and it was, like, a buffalo jump on an quote-unquote UNESCO site. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, it's called, like, Head Smashed In, and I did more digging, and I'm glad I did, because all of the funding went back to a museum and not actually, like, benefiting any indigenous communities that are, like, even within the proximity of the UNESCO site. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, I, I think it's a really, I think it's a very... Um, I think it's a, it can be so, UNESCO can be so great and allow us to learn so much, but it's like a two-way street almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely. Um, Can you talk about the um, UNESCO, um, the the, uh, World 
heritage list, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so the World Heritage List. Mm -hmm. So there's, uh, UNESCO recognizes physical spaces Mm -hmm. um, through, you know, a process of application and review as World Heritage Sites. And they they are added to this list, and um, there's a lot of great information about those sites on their website. Uh, So that's the, the physical heritage list and then i think it was in 2010 uh they created the intangible heritage list Mm. so that is Mm -hmm. for everything else that is considered heritage but doesn't have a physical expression necessarily yeah so like traditional food um processing techniques i think the mediterranean diet yeah, quote unquote yeah so that's that's kind of funny so how do you think that ways I guess, how do, what are some ways that you think um, Europe or Euro-American perspectives are overrepresented in archaeology as a field? Oh, that is a big question. We got time. Yeah. Yeah, we got time. We got time. Okay. So, talk so I mean, I think... Damn, she dropped her crochet. I did. This I, is the serious. crochet went down. The crochet went um, down, guys. <laughs> this is serious. I mean, I think you can just look at the history of the field of archaeology. Absolutely. And how it developed essentially as treasure hunting of mm-hmm. wealthy um, European elite traipsing about on this idea of, like, the grand tour around Absolutely. the world. Absolutely, and, yeah. And taking mementos um and trying to connect themselves to a larger idea of world heritage yeah so i mean i think immediately of um the elgin marbles and the parthenon marbles debate and how uh lord elgin originally went to take casts of the parthenon marbles to use to decorate his home and right. he ended up like taking them entirely. Right. But it's this uh, focus on categorizing things as art, and that imposes a lot of notions about what art is and what constitutes an art object rather than like yeah. a religious object mm-hmm. or like a Something spiritual is, object. Yes. So yes. I think imposing that I that view of art and then using art as a way of determining value absolutely and then collecting those things deemed as art Mm -hmm. um was was and still remains like a a fairly large issue within um archaeology and the history of how it developed absolutely Mm -hmm. and i think also like those i think it's ironic that those are the store like those those narratives of things being unethically acquired by museums like archaeological um and cultural objects being within like museum collections like that's folk that's that's solely like i don't know how to explain it i guess european european representatives or european countries get the most like attention when it comes to those things but indigenous perspectives and cultural objects or um yeah they're just not they're they're, they don't get as much attention or even within um uh one of the museum the the museum exhibit uh exhibit that we saw at 
Sarasota. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the Asian, even the, the um, yeah, the, the yes, Asian, the Asian, the Asian art, exhibit. the Asian art. Exhibit. There were, there were. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see that, Kat? Yeah, we went. No, I'm saying, did she go visit that section? Yes. Yeah, yes. I saw. There yeah. Was, what was? Yeah. What was your take? Um, there was not as much apparent effort into mm-hmm. um, into researching the the significance of the pieces that they collected right. and not nearly enough information given in the interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you make a really good point that when we do hear stories of like repatriation, you hear yeah. a lot about, you know, a vase returned to Greece or you know, a statue given back to Italy and especially, and as well as Egypt, that makes the news a lot, but yeah, you're right that you don't see the same attention given to, um, non-European or European descendant materials, mm-hmm. um, being returned or yeah. like, or community. And you get a lot of attention, like, um, in terms of places that have been romanticized by your, by Europe <laughs> yeah. to be yeah. places of, you know, to explore, to discover. It's like, and that's where we get into tourism a little bit, too. It's like these romanticized spaces that are actually homes to people and communities and that don't benefit from tourism at all. And I just think it's such a, it's such a difficult, it's, it's, archaeology is such a difficult field to be in, I feel like, or even cultural heritage, because every, everybody's circumstance differs so how do you navigate that as in the archaeological field of like you know you're kind of you i feel sometimes you're doing like a moral battle within yourself sometimes (laughs) am i correct Um, of like is this what i'm doing right or what do you feel like you're bringing then to combat that i feel like it really depends so i have only excavated in Greece and Italy. So mm-hmm. the experiences I've had are very different from somebody who's trained in the anthropology and the material of the Americas, for instance. Uh-huh. And there's very right. different approaches within the field depending on where you, where you work. Got you. Because of how the different disciplines, like academic disciplines, developed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can really just speak to my experience. I think I... Archaeology today and archaeologists today, uh, in my experience, do acknowledge the history of the field and the issues that it's had. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more focused on um, preservation than anything, than just recovering materials and and hoarding them. I think people think archaeologists like take objects and and store them away and they're never seen again. That's what I used to think. That's honestly what I used to think because I get get my perception of archaeology through movies. Yeah. Like, you know, Indiana Jones or like... Indiana Jones is an absolute lie. Archaeology is paperwork. You you heard it here. It's it's paperwork. It is um, getting excited when you find... Like a a pot sherd, not like a statue fragment. You know, yeah. I think the field has a fragment <laughs> of a, a fragment of a vase of a yeah, yeah. I think um, people think archaeologists are always pulling up 
quote unquote national treasures. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is just not the logistics how of how excavations work. Yeah. Right. And the questions that we ask in archaeology have changed a lot and the value has changed from collecting art objects to collecting information to create the best understanding we can of of what happened in a certain yeah, space. People. How wow. people exactly. it's, it's about people and that their experiences. So, poetic, so you know, I think a really good example of this is the um, excavations at Antioch in the 30s, um, which was one of like, the last major kind of cities of, of the ancient world to be excavated. Mm-hmm. And how at the time, what they really cared about were recovering the mosaics because Antioch is covered in beautiful, beautiful mosaics on the mm-hmm. floors. And to get these mosaics, you know, they they went fast. They didn't pay attention to anything else. They didn't document um, materials the way we would now because they were looking for something in particular mm-hmm. to ship to museums to get funding to continue this right. process. Right. Whereas today we care about so many more things like um i you know you 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 get excited to find like a trash dump because you can learn about how that space was being used at what time it was being used the movement of people in that area so you know it's 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 a different focus so i don't feel conflicted necessarily because it's no it's no longer treasure hunting or at least it shouldn't be if it's run well mm-hmm. and it's like methodologically sound it's about understanding the people that were there before you yeah and their patterns and i i feel like yeah. it's i feel like it's also like it makes a big difference to excavate and do research and to know more in that sense where we all know there's members of the Etruscan community or ex- this, that, and the other community. Like, they they were a community that once existed, and we know that they existed in this area, but they no longer exist. Yeah. And but I think there's a big difference between that dynamic and the ways in which communities that still exist today mm-hmm. are represented. Absolutely. And so that's part mm-hmm. of the reason why I haven't had to address this in the same way someone working in the Americas might. Right. Because you have descendant communities yeah. for whom this material holds a great, great significance in yeah. a way that an academic is just not going to understand. <clears throat> right. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's taken away from that community for study. They aren't necessarily given a say in the interpretation. Mm-hmm. The material culture, like the keys to their cultural heritage is, is removed. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think um, depending on where you work, you know, you can really try to cultivate good relationships and and work with um, that community's goals Absolutely. in line with your own, mm-hmm, and yeah. that you build these really fruitful, like dynamic dialogues and relationships. Absolutely. Yes. So, I mean, I'm I'm lucky because I don't have to. Um, uh, I I don't encounter as many ethical dilemmas on a day-to-day because the people I work with uh, uh, lived, you know, my, my site was occupied between the 8th and, like, 5th centuries BCE. Right. So, mm-hmm. again, right. it's a different set of yeah. challenges. Uh-huh. But something um, that is really important 
to us is, you know, we come in an excavation of like 50 Americans mostly mm-hmm. to a town of 500. It's a small town. Mm-hmm. Enjoy yeah. it. It's so you know we entirely like invade their space Mm -hmm. all summer long Mm. um and you have to be mindful of how you're interacting with that community who is like generous enough to host you to let you live in their space Mm -hmm. and uh within most cities have the choice though um not exactly i think it's cities no a small town where we're lucky enough that one family rents a giant house to us. Mm. Right. Like, the funding is... Like, yeah. like yeah. you depend on that. Yeah. Like, yeah. We well, depend, I, I'm going to be involved in no, that. Yeah, so, we depend yeah. on the goodwill of this family to let us stay in this big house all summer long. They don't yeah. have to rent to us. No one has to. At which right. point, you know, where, where are we going to go? About to sleep um, on the floor with the trash gonna, pile. We're gonna um, yeah. camp. <laughs> Seriously, next to the trash pile. Can I you imagine? I've thought about trying to camp overnight on site, but I'm I'm too scared. There's, I would be too. There's wild boars. <gasps> oh, boars are scary. Yeah, yes. no, they're scary. So don't. There's don't, these. Mon- I won't do that. Okay, I won't do so that. Fun, look, uh. so fun fact: there's these monkeys in Trinidad, where my grandmother's from, and they. They hang out, of course, they hang out in the trees, but they sound like wild boar. Oh, that's terrifying. And, like, we went to this bamboo cathedral, and they were like, you have to be, you have to be quiet, because we actually heard them. And then they pounce on you, and it's over with. It's a wrap. Oh, that? Yeah, so it's really scary. gave me a new nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll play the okay. sound for you later on. I really it's, hope you don't. <laughs> a typical day at an excavation site for our listeners yeah so uh, and this i'm very excited to do this because people do think archaeology is like indiana Jones, yeah that's I'm why i'm excited to explain yeah. exactly how it's not yeah that's why yeah. I, I asked those questions i'm like people are really curious <laughs> yeah, yeah so uh you wake up anywhere depending on where you're working you always wake up early in the morning uh probably sometime between 4 a.m to 6 a.m mm-hmm um, you may be responsible for making your own breakfast or making breakfast for the group, um, depending on the logistics of where you're staying. So you get up, uh, I mean, I usually get up around like 5.45 a.m., get food, mm. uh, and then you've got to walk or sometimes drive to the site. Yeah. Um, and usually the day starts before 7 Mm. Or around seven. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, if sometimes you're lucky enough and it's a really short walk to site, sometimes you're lucky enough that you have someone who drives you. Sometimes I'm gonna be hiking. You you get a, a twenty-five to forty-minute hike depending on how fast you are and how good you are with um, inclines. I'm good with that stuff. Then so you're great. Not yeah, you're yeah you're a um, hiker. And they got they got like a whole backpack for it. It's yeah, like, oh, I got perfect. a hiker. It's yeah. it's legit. You're, you're set. Got it's a hydro it. pack and everything. Uh, so you, hey, those hydro packs are fire. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, you just... Oh, okay. Yeah. No, so when I was in yeah, March I don't have I need one of those. When I was in March Bay High School, some of the uh, trumpet players had that, and I was so jealous. I it's a, am going to get invest, you one. actually. Yeah. yeah. You need to get you one. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, throughout the day, you should be drinking as much water as possible. Uh, mm-hmm. 
So, you know, you start in the morning. Um, it typically works that um, depending on how sensitive the area you are in is, you might use more destructive methods of excavation or more sensitive. Right. So if you are in topsoil, which means you are just like in the grass, right? Uh huh. That is all material and soil that has been deposited recently through the process of erosion. And right. you're not going to find anything in it usually that has any sort of secure context. It's not going to be able to tell you necessarily anything helpful about the history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can usually just plow through that with a pickaxe. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you, you often you'll hand sort through the soil, and you might pass it through, um, like, a sieve to try to catch materials that are too small for you to just see with your hands. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a really sensitive context, then instead of using a pickaxe maybe you're just scraping away layer by layer with a trowel or a hand pick um you probably take a break sometime in the morning what do you mean by <laughs> not as sensitive so what is the soil like, like if you're looking yeah. at the stratigraphic layers and such yeah so the the principle of excavation is is by is about stratigraphy which means the basic idea is that whatever is farthest down is earliest yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and then things over time yeah. layer on top of that. Yep. Um, so you want to find a secure context, which means you want to find a layer in that stratigraphy, in that, like, like you know, cake layer of soil. Yes. uh-huh. Um, where things haven't just been randomly jumbled around by, like, the rain or mm -hmm. by people plowing through fields a mm -hmm. lot where th things get kind of all mixed up. You want to find a space that's kind of been untouched by later activity. Mm -hmm. So you know that those things actually date to that time period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if I drop a, um, like, a piece, like, a pottery shard, like, in, from, you know, the 6th century BC, I, let's say I drop an ancient artifact on the ground outside, that's not in a secure context. It's just sitting there. It came later. It yeah. doesn't tell us anything about that thing itself oh, which okay. is one of the big issues ethical issues that archaeologists and museum professionals get into and art historians mm -hmm. is that um there's a view that the thing itself is so important and it's so beautiful and it tells us so much in and of that thing that that's what matters so that's why a lot of museums will rationalize buying things that are looted because the thing itself is just so beautiful and just so meaningful that we need mm. the thing itself. Mm. But when it's looted, that context is entirely destroyed. You don't know where it came from. You don't know when it dates to. You don't know how it related to other materials. Right. right. And all of that information is lost. Yeah. So if it doesn't have context... What use it's really it? not meaningful, yeah. at least in an archaeological perspective. So you might find something beautiful um, and, and fantastic, and you're really excited for it. Mm -hmm. But if you find it next to, like, a modern beer bottle... Like, well, how, what good is it? What, what, what good is it? it? What yeah, does like, it actually what, tell you about yeah, the thing it doesn't tell you, you, you just know yeah. that someone had it and was yeah, going somewhere. Exactly. Like, you don't know who used it, who put it there, why, any of that. Um, and so it's the relationship between objects in space and materials that's usually so meaningful. Right. Mm. Um, so, you know, you go about your day as you're finding things, if they're um, something that is deemed significant, you, as you find it, you will mark where you found it. You'll find, you'll like take the coordinates of the exact location. Mm -hmm. 
Um, sometimes if it's really um, significant, you'll like take a picture of it before you remove it and you have lunch, <laughs> uh, finish the day out. As you're doing all of this, you are documenting constantly. You are documenting the um, everything from the material you're finding to the frequency with which you're finding it, to the texture of the soil, to the color of the soil, to wow. how if you're yeah. using what's a lot. Yeah, what size yeah. sieve you're using, uh-huh. how many times um, you're sieving materials where you're dumping like dirt or, you know, so that if someone comes back later and excavates, they don't interpret something you've done to the landscape as yeah. something like natural to it. Yeah. Right. Right. You, you know, you, um, and you finish out and then you usually spend part of the day just on paperwork and documentation and objects processing. Um, so it's, it's not, <laughs> It does, I'm gonna tell you one thing. It does, yeah. It does not sound like Indiana Jones or even like no. Jurassic Park. But that's that's not glamorous. <laughs> nope. No. Not, not exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Tell me why I'm over here thinking. I'm like, dang. She's doing a lot of digging. How is she writing with dirty hands? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it gets a little messy. Yeah. Uh, you're at an excavation that has the funding for it. Maybe you're taking notes on iPads, so it's, you know, really fancy, Mm up-to-date. Or you're just writing in a book and you're getting, like, your smudgy stains all over Yeah, I was about to say. Um, So you take, (laughs) you usually take the finds back to your museum or your lab at the end of the day. Uh Uh-huh. Everything is is documented. Um, And then you not only have to do documentation for the site, but sometimes you have to do documentation for the government in whose country you are working. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, which is incredibly important to do, to build those, like, long-term relationships. Absolutely. With, with mm-hmm. The people who are hosting you, like, allowing you to be there. Yeah. Right. Um, it's... <laughs> uh... It's it's definitely it's not treasure hunting the way it used to be, or at least it shouldn't it shouldn't shouldn't be, be. It sh- yeah. absolutely shouldn't no, be. No, it shouldn't be. It's not um, like you know, little pirate map and stuff, finding the pot of gold. What what's the coolest thing you found? Like you personally have found? Um, uh, <laughs> she's like dirt and more dirt. Well, it's it's not <laughs> on top of dirt. I think the most interesting thing I found would probably be uh, a decorated, um, like, spindle whirl. Oh, wow. What is that? So a spindle whirl um, is, there's different materials you need to, like, spin, um, like, yarn and fabrics Uh and to, like, weave them together. Oh, is that the little... So, so, yeah, so spindle whirl... um, or there are these um, objects in Italian. They're called ricchetti. They mm-hmm. are kind of like spools that you would mm-hmm. wrap thread yeah. around. So I'm really yeah. interested in textile production. And yes. Um, Hence the crocheting. Yeah. Hence your favorite so... thing you found. <laughs> yeah. That is oh, awesome. I bet that was like a total like. <laughs> you were oh, out. You were very nerdy. It was fantastic. It was a full circle moment for you when you found that. Yeah. And it's like, that's definitely not. You know what 
it, it's small and it's not necessarily like it's not something you're going to put in a museum display right but it says so much about who uh since weaving was considered like a, a gendered activity this mm-hmm. speaks to mm-hmm. women's involvement in craft production and the economy and um like day-to-day activity uh you can understand who was moving about in that space and at what time they were moving about. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that it was decorated, that this is something functional, but someone took the time, time. in the production of it to, like, personalize Decor- yeah, it. Yeah, to, to decorate to it. That is it nice. so cool. I would tell you what, I want to go out and dig tomorrow. Well, no, I lied. No, that's not for me. Um, anyway, what? so my question is, what do you do if you come across, like, a, a body? Like skeleton, oh. like skeletal remains, because yeah. that's something totally different from okay. like a. Absolutely. Um, so human remains is is definitely um, can present all sorts of ethical yes. conundrums. Uh huh. Um, legally speaking, what you do depends on the country that you're in and their specific protocols. Okay. So I have a friend who works at. Um, a Native American site in Illinois, and if they find anything, you know, anything funerary, everything shuts down because oh. that's that's not to be recovered, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, when I was in Greece, we they ha- we had specialists working on actually excavating graves. Oh, okay. Because there there are different laws regarding how you handle yeah. this. Um, so. I have not encountered. Right. Well, is that like a higher uh, a high? Oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to go. We're not going to go. Like, okay, so is that like a higher up position then to be specialized in excavating human remains then in the archaeological field? Yeah, usually you okay. have specialists in, um, uh, like bioarchaeology. So with an osteology and all of that you you wouldn't put a first time excavator out on like a funerary site in that makes way sense. without no like, no it's no, 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 like common sense no, yeah it it's common sense, sense. Yeah, yeah i mean you want you want to like treat yes. all of um these um graves with the respect that they deserve right, right. um yeah. so i think a lot of the times, you know, it's hot, you're tired, people, like, get silly, you know, you talk about all sorts of ridiculous things just to keep yourself, like, awake and entertained and, like, engaged. Um, but, you know, just your method of conduct definitely changes when you are excavating anything funerary. Absolutely. Um, because you you don't want to joke about the materials you're finding, because that is someone. That is yeah. someone, yeah. And that kind of goes in just to the whole worldview of what is an object, what is a person, what has agency, what has what is living, what is not living. Right. Because just because you consider funerary remains, human um, remains not living, doesn't mean somebody else, somebody else doesn't. Yeah. You know, they, they may have an entirely different... Worldview. Exactly. Yeah. So, I've, I've not had to uh, encounter that extensively, um, but it's definitely something to be like very wary of and cautious Mm -hmm. yeah and you need to be cautious the way you talk about it even when you're not 
excavating yeah. the way you talk about an excavation like in a town or in a city when it's happening is really meaningful because if you start talking about graves and someone overhears you who thinks maybe they could find something you we still get like grave robbers and looters oh wow right. so right. You, yeah you yeah, you, you have true. to be like incredibly mindful not just what the you're way saying. you're interacting yeah but anything that could endanger um, the, you know, the, the site and, mm-hmm. and the person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, t- I, I had a class on, um, cultural, her- uh, cultural heritage at risk in Libya. And it was actually at an Etruscan ruin in Cyrene. Mm-hmm. Um, my professor, he was like the, the, an archeologist there. And that was a huge problem that they had. That like people people yeah. kept looting looting their excavation sites, where yeah. the, what in parts that they were excavating on within Cyrene. So yes. wow, the oldest Roman ruin in the world. He said, "Wow, <laughs> kind of crazy. That is yeah. crazy." Well, Kat, I want to ask you this uh, last question, then I'll I'll let you do your <laughs> chicken that she's still working on, guys. It's going to be beautiful. It yeah. is going to be great. You you make like some amazing stuff. You make some amazing <laughs> things. No, seriously. Um, so what advice would you give to somebody that wants to come into the field of archaeology and, you know, like what advice would you give them from your experience? Like you can maybe yeah. act like you talk to your younger self, but, you know. Maybe not your younger self. That you know what that got way too. My bad. That got way too deep. My bad. My bad. X that out. Yeah. What advice did you get to somebody? I, I, um, I think it's really important if you want to get invested in archaeology, regardless of what country you're in or who you're working mm-hmm. with, to always be respectful not just of the objects themselves, like treating them with care and intention, Mm -hmm. but the people to whom they're meaningful. Mm -hmm. So that goes into what I was just saying about how do you talk about like a funerary site? You you want to be mindful. And I think, um, I think it's easy to lose yourself in the academic side of it. Absolutely. And not think about the the implications of the work you're doing and the people to whom it really matters. Mm. So I think as anyone getting involved in it um, should really try to make those connections. So for instance, um, there's a, um, like a festival that happens in Tuscany um, celebrating the Etruscans because the people in Tuscany feel very connected to the Etruscans because right. that's where it comes from. They like have done DNA studies trying to like link themselves. There's an entire conception of like unique cultural heritage within that area right. to mm-hmm. this particular civilization. Mm-hmm. So you know how can how can you serve those people with the work that you're doing? And so at this festival. Um, the excavation gets involved, there's tours of the site, there's talks, um, artifacts are, like, passed around for mm. the people who oh, are Oh, that's involved. wonderful. That's good. Yeah. It's explained. It's, um, and, and, you know, we get, they, they, they take pride in the yeah. material, and which makes sense. It is something for them to take pride in. Absolutely. And if we can be a vehicle 
that enables people to access the material like keys to their history, mm-hmm. then that's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, thank you they, so much, Catherine. Yes, thank and you. Did you have fun? I did. Thank you for having me. Of absolutely, absolutely. And, and, to, and to everyone listening out there, we hope you enjoyed your visit. And if not, well, maybe next time. Oh.